0: You <laughs> know. Rusty, pick me one note. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> run it downhill. <laughs> And it's a long cord Yeah. yeah back. Go. Back.
1: Well, good morning, FCC Church. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> Welcome to another wonderful Sunday morning here at FCC. Hope your first weekend in January of the new year is treating you well. Could you please stand and worship along with us?
0: invited him. I'm sorry. (laughs) Love you, Will.
2: (laughs) We enjoy the enthusiasm. (laughs) Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, that we can celebrate Jesus. Lord, as we're gathered here today, I pray that we can just open our hearts and our minds to you, and Father, that we can express our joy through worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. Glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We're here to lift up Christ together. Uh, Before we continue singing this morning, we'll do a couple things. One, sometime this morning, make sure you fill out your connection card. If you're watching online, you can do it electronically, or you can also do it electronically if you're here. The other thing we'd like you to do is, introverts love this part of our service. Extroverts don't like it. Anyway, I want you, we're going to take three minutes. I want you to go around and say hello to somebody, but please say hello to somebody that you don't know and then filter it to everybody else. So, right now, go ahead and say hello to somebody. We're glad you're here today.
0: See
1: verse 2 reminds us of where we once were. But he lifted me out of the watery pit, out of the slimy mud. He placed my feet on a rock and gave me secure footing. But while we have that secure footing, we can't forget that we still need him. <laughs> 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, tell us, And God will exalt you in due time, if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand, by casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you.
0: Buried beneath my shade, who could carry that kind away? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not. Alive. All my failures, I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name.
2: Well, today we begin our Core 52 series together. We're going to begin that journey. And before we dive in, I want to go through a few housekeeping items pertaining to this series, so you kind of understand the flow of what we're doing. On each Sunday for the next, it's actually longer than, but for 52 Sundays, uh, it'll go a little bit into next year, because during Faith Promise, we step out of this, and during two weeks in December, during Christmas, we'll step out of the series. But what'll happen is, we will, Jerry or I will preach a sermon based on the chapter in the book, and we start at chapter one, and we'll go through two, three, four, and so forth, so it's sequential, so we're not hopping around. So for instance, this week, we're in chapter one. And then what'll happen is on Monday you'll start that chapter in your book, and in that book you'll have a little bit of reading. It should take less than 15 minutes, and when you read that and you get to the end of the chapter, it'll give you something to do for the next few days. And so for what we're trying to get you to do is spend 15 minutes a day, five days a week, in Scripture, and um, if you'll do that, you will you will learn a lot. You'll you'll grasp a lot of things that are going on. Now if you go on our website you'll see a core 52 page and you'll find memory verse help videos, which I'm going to show one today at the end of the service. So you see what they are, but I have all 52 on the website. And um, on our core 52 website too, you will see a resource like memory verse cards. You can can download a PDF that has all 52 cards on it. He's using the English standard version, which is a great version. I preach out of the NET second edition. So what I put on the screen, some weeks will be a little bit different than what you have on your memory verse card. Also, one of the things you'll find on there is you'll have a place you can hit the Core 52 website from ours, where you can sign up and they'll send you everything every week. And then you can, have, uh, you can check things off on the box, it'll give you the videos and stuff, and it also comes with a short teaching video. So that's what'll happen. And also, um, Dale is going to be having a life group at 6 p.m. on Sunday evenings. Now the thing about this series, it is 52 weeks, but its series is within the series. It's about 12 four to six week series is within. So if somebody shows up, like say halfway through the year, they're not going to be going, "Oh, what's this?" Because each message stands on its own, but yet they all are tied together in, in a way. Now, what Core 52 is, it's essential for individuals. It's essential for groups who want to build their confidence in God's Word. Think of Core 52 as kind of a fast track to biblical literacy. And what we're doing is we're taking, we're asking, like I said, for 15 minutes a day, five days a week. If you happen to miss one of our uh, sermons, they're online, so you can watch them. You can go on our website and see those. What What happens here is Mark Moore, who's he preaches at Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, and he's has been a professor at Ozark Christian College. He has found the most power-packed passages, and he distills them into small, digestible uh, format for busy people who want to gain proficiency in Scripture. This study is not a verse-by-verse study of the Word. During this 52-week study, what we're going to do is we're going to examine what we would call mountaintop verses that will give you a fast track to a better understanding of Scripture. It's kind of the 80-20 principle. When you go through this 20% of Scripture, you'll have a good idea. You'll have a good grasp on 80% of Scripture. So it really works well. The problem that people have is many people, even if they're not Christians, some people are like, I'd like to know a lot about the Bible. And, um, but they don't know where to start. And what happens typically is they say, you know what? We're going to start at Genesis, which we actually we're going to do today. And Genesis is awesome, man. If you never read it, you should. And then Exodus is neat. And then I won't say anything about the next three. But anyway, usually people kind of get lost in a fog in those last three books, and it kind of ends at that. Well, what we're going to do is going to be very helpful. And the great thing about this is I know all of us are busy, but do you have 15 minutes for your faith? That's what we're asking. And if you don't, you really kind of probably need to examine your time situation in your life. So the busiest of people can do this. And as I said, we're we're hoping that you'll do that. Now with the house, oh, by the way, you do not have to bring your Core 52 book each week because I won't be using it. Uh, It's just a launch pad, so you don't have to just bring your Bible. So today we're going to begin at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, which, by the way, is your memory verse this week. So the week, this one's an easy one, a freebie. You won't have to spend as much time learning this. But Genesis, the author of Genesis has been attributed to Moses Uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as well as Jesus. Uh, Luke also tells us that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We see this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And this is when Jesus had had, um, been resurrected, and he met some people on the road to Emmaus. And here's what Luke says. Then beginning with Moses, and the word Moses here is reference to the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, which means the books of the prophets, Jesus interpreted, it to, interpreted to them things written about himself in all the scriptures. Now, Moses most likely, excuse me, uh, he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, back to Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. As a matter of fact, the word Genesis means beginnings, so it makes sense it's the first book. The great thing about Genesis is that it shows us not only the beginning of our world and humanity as a whole, but we also see the beginning of marriage, family. We see the beginning of civilizations and culture. We see the beginning of things falling apart. We see the beginning of, of envy and, and murder and things like that. It's, it all, we see it all in Genesis. In Genesis though, one of the things that we see, another beginning is the beginning of things getting messed up. God created everything perfectly When God allowed us to have free will which true love requires without without free will you cannot have true love things went awry so Genesis shows us the the origins of human failure death disease and the natural disasters that we see our world is a glorious world it's full of beauty it's full of wonder but it's also a world that when you wake up each day you can obviously see that some things have gone wrong and we see this in Genesis but the other great thing in Genesis is we see the beginning of a plan to fix that. Clear back in Genesis. God had a plan to bring people back home to the paradise that he intended for us to live in. We see the beginning of hope, and we see the help that we need to be able to get our lives back on track and to take care of the most desperate needs we have. Genesis 1:1. This passage there's a lot of... I get a little leery sometimes. This is the most important passage in Scripture because there's a lot of them. I mean, they're all important. But when you think about Genesis 1-1, this is probably one of those vital ones that we need to understand and understand properly and within its context. Because what happens is the rest of Scripture, the rest of everything is built on that foundation. Why do you think liberals and people who don't want to believe in God attack Genesis so fervently because if they can yank Genesis out from underneath your feet, you have nothing else. You have nothing. So this is why it's important. Genesis 1-1 is amazing to me because it answers many questions that science spends billions of dollars trying to answer. I so wish that those scientists would just come to First Chris and say, Hey, we're going to give you all the money we're wasting on this so you all can use it. And, and we'll give them a really nice Bible and say, Hey, read Genesis 1-1 and it'll answer a lot of your questions. The other thing about the passage, about this verse, is it shows us the important and answers. Excuse me, the most important questions, such as, how did I get here? Why am I here? What's the purpose for my life? We learn all this from Genesis one one. So, with that being said, Genesis is so simple, but yet so profound. So, let's begin our fifty-two week journey. Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first thing we see that Genesis one reveals to us, it reveals the priority of God in respect to time, how God is sovereign over time. We're going to begin by placing our focus on the first four words of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God... Excuse me. In the beginning, God... Here we go. Get my finger count right. Those, those words are so important. Those, so, those four words, there's nothing theologically deep about each word, But when you bring them together, they're so simple, but yet they're so profound. The implications of Genesis 1-1 are staggering. This is why it gets attacked so hard. Something, here's here's what we need to realize when it comes to time. Something has to be eternal, right? Something had had to exist eternally. Now, the question is, what? What? what we call that thing is, is a, a term called the uncaused first cause. In other words, it's always been there. It's never been gone. Something has to fit that. Now, we have a couple choices. One is the, some people would see the uncaused first cause as matter, the universe, or creation. In other words, they will say that the universe has been here forever, that it's, it, it just it was the uncaused first cause. Well, The other other possibility is God. Now, whatever the uncaused first cause is, by definition is God, because it transcends everything else. It would be the greatest. And the Bible tells us here, in the beginning, it doesn't say creation, it doesn't say universe, it says God. So what Genesis 1-1 does is it answers the question, Who was here from the beginning? Who is the uncaused first cause? In the beginning, God. And so what we find is God is that uncaused first cause. And in my estimation, that makes him God. That makes him the one that we worship. A lot of people don't like that. So we've come up with all these isms in society, in our world. Human beings have done this in an effort to eradicate God from that they want the universe to be but even then they say the universe was created so therefore the big bang you've heard of that theory that they teach kind of as fact anymore the problem with that is is that that means that the universe had a beginning so it's not an uncaused first cause so this sentence in the beginning god throws the gauntlet down for all those isms that are opposed to a biblical worldview I want to just briefly, for, because, because of time's sake, go through six of them that are very prominent and they oppose God's truth. First of all, Genesis 1-1 affirms, in the beginning, God existed. He was here. Well, this fact is in direct opposition to atheism, which teaches a worldview that says God doesn't exist, that there's no creator, that maybe the stuff was here for eternity or somehow it just... A, For no particular reason it appeared. In the Old Testament, the word for God, Elohim, is used over 2,500 times. And this word shows God is the one who rouses people's fears and their reverence by nature and his works. Elohim, that word, represents the power and the transcendence of God. Atheism, honestly, is all about replacing God with self. Now, an atheist doesn't go around saying, I'm God, okay? I don't want to mislead you. But for instance, in a home, who is supposed to be the authority in the home after God? Parents, right? So what happens when a kid says, I'm not going to obey you and be mean to my sister who made me hot chocolate? No, and I'm not going <laughs> to, what happens when a kid says, I'm not going to obey you and then the kid starts trying to make the rules? What's that kid trying to do? Be the parent. They're trying to usurp what's not theirs. Now, unfortunately in our society, a lot of families let that happen, and that's that's a bad thing, it's not good for anybody. So, as an athe- if I'm an atheist and I say there's no God, and because there's no God, then I can kind of set the rules for life. What I'm doing is I am taking the place of God. I'm not going around saying I'm a God, but for all intents and purposes, that's what I'm doing. Because I am trying to take the authority that does not belong to me. I am trying to set rules that I have no right setting. Atheism is an effort to set oneself as the maker and the arbiter of all things because they don't like the thought of a higher authority. The other thing that Genesis 1-1 does is it makes it clear that only one God exists. It doesn't say in the beginning God's, it says God. Now, (laughs) what's interesting here is in verse, the verb in verse one is singular, the word for Elohim, necessitating the conclusion that the world was created by one god this takes down another ism that's polytheism the belief in many gods and we've seen this one's been throughout really early on this this became very something that people do a, l- a lot of places around the world still practices oh we got to make the sun god happy we got to make the moon god happy we got to make the football god happy we got to make this god happy so on and so forth and so we're it's all confusion well in the beginning god now the pluralistic nature of the godhead is suggested by the fact that the word god elohim is plural while it's a verb while while, as a verb it's singular so it's father son holy spirit later revelation makes it clear that god manifests himself that way as god the father god the son god the holy spirit so that kind of knocks out another ism called unitarianism and that's a movement that basically says that the god in christianity is one entity and it defines God, and says that God that when you do, you define God in three persons, that's not right. And when it comes to Jesus, Unitarians believe that Jesus was inspired by God in his moral teachings, and that he's, a, he's a, he is a, a savior, but he's not a deity. We'll see why that's not true in a moment. But in the beginning, God, and so Genesis also teaches us that the that Genesis excuse me in Genesis that the universe had a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So they had a definite beginning. We also read that it's going to have an end. The universe is not an uncaused first cause, but rather it's a creation. So materialism, another one of those isms, teaches that material possessions are of supreme importance, that the physical world's what it's all about. And so when you die, there's nothing left. There's no need for any spiritual part of your life. But the problem with that is, is in the beginning, God created. So material things are not our God. It's knocked out. We also see that God is distinct from nature. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say that anything, it doesn't say that the heaven and the earth are God, but God created them. Pantheism is a belief that all things are part of a single divine reality, that God is in anything and everything. There's no distinction between uh, deity and reality. So Genesis 1-1 knocks that out also. And since God created the universe, the material universe, he's obviously superior to it and therefore in control of it. And this slaps down our last one, fatalism, which says it's it's a philosophical doctrine that states that all events and all actions are inevitably determined by nature or by external causes. Well, Genesis 1-1 affirms that God is the uncaused first cause and the only one that's eternal. Let's look at our passage again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what, the next thing we see from Genesis 1-1 is God's, the priority of God in respect to position. Now, it makes sense that if he is sovereign over time, that he transcends time, that it also makes sense that he would hold a priority in position. Put it another way, he is God alone and all else is not. In other words, there are a lot of people, a lot of things that say, I'm God, I'm God, but there's only one God, the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth. There's no competition for his position. God didn't have to compete and win a competition to be God. He's always been and always will be God. He alone is sovereign. And when people try to make up other gods, what they're trying to do is they're trying to usurp God's authority and God's position, because God has a priority in respect to position. Genesis 1:1 respects or excuse me, recognizes God's position, a priority of position, in four ways. First, God exercised his sovereignty when he named the various facets of his creation. Now, he who gives the name is superior to the named. For instance, when you had your children, did they name themselves? No, you named them. Why? Because you're the boss of the house. You were in a way, and I don't mean that, you, you know, they're dirt but you're superior to them because you, for lack of better terms, made them, <laughs> even though God created them. And whenever you name something, you take authority over. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, when some like if you have the city of Kevin here and Joe comes in and defeats the city of Kevin, Joe's going to come in and rename that city to the city of Joe so that everybody in that town that used to be the city of Kevin knows that Joe's in charge, that Joe's sovereign, that Joe kicked everybody's tail. He took their names and changed it. And you notice that God, when he's dealing with Abraham, Abram, Sarah, and he's dealing with Paul, what did, what did God do to them? He says, that's not your name anymore. Your name's Abraham. Your name is Sarah. Your name's no longer Saul. It's Paul. Why did he do that? To show his sovereignty over them. And so, and I thought about this long and hard as I was writing about this, about that concept, and it's just, it's a neat concept to think, you know, when you create something, you name it. Alexander Graham Bell, what do you call that thing? He called it a cell phone. No, no. young people, you need to to Google telephone, okay? It used to hook to a wall, and we got, we were holding by a cord, and if you were lucky, you had a really long cord, so I would talk to my wife when we were dating, and go and hide in the bathroom so my parents wouldn't hear the sweet nothings I was telling my wife. Anyway, um, Yeah, it was different. So when you you create something, you name it. Create children, you name them. Well, in Genesis 1, God names light, darkness, waters, dry land, sky. He gave them all names to show I'm above them. On the fourth day, excuse me, the second thing that God did is a way he exercised his sovereignty is he delegated responsibility and authority. When you can delegate authority and responsibility, it's because you have position, right? In the military, we understand this, you have privates all the way up. And when a general walks into a room, what is everybody supposed to do? You're gonna get up and show, so you're gonna to snap to attention and salute. What if a private walks in, is a general gonna get up and do that? No. no, he doesn't have to do that. Can the, can the private tell the general what to do? No, he can't do that. Why? Priority of position. And so what we have here, and he can't delegate anything. It all has to go through the higher ups. On day four, God appointed the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. That was God delegating that authority. On the sixth day, God delegated to humans dominion over the earth and the animals on the earth. Now, quick question. Who named the animals? Adam did. Adam named them all. He came up with some cool names. duckbill platypus, where'd that come from? You know, you know, I'm just so glad he created cats. I just love my cats. But anyway, I wish they were up here with me right now. But anyway, um, man named, and my wife's embarrassed now, man named all the animals. Why? Because he has dominion over them. Why does mankind have dominion over animals? Because God gave them that responsibility. Humans are therefore prohibited from worshiping any creature because humans, by definition, are superior to all things except for God. So we will worship what's greater than us, and that is God. This is why in the Ten Commandments, what's God say about worshiping other things? He says, what you're not going to do is you're not going to worship the creation, because the creation is inferior. So when we decide, and you know, when Moses went up, went up the mountain, you know, and uh, <laughs> what did he do when he come back? They're worshiping a calf, God was not happy with that. When we do that, we're lowering ourselves saying, you know what, creation's greater than we are. We're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. As as demonstrated in man's dominion, Adam named all the animals, showing that, that mankind, that humans, are superior to the animal kingdom. Now, by definition also, we are living on God's earth. This is not ours. So as Christians, we should be environmentally aware. We shouldn't be to the point where we're worshiping the earth like some people do, and spreading things that aren't true to get a political agenda and get your money. But we should be very responsible in how we deal with things because we are stewards of what God has given us. It's like if you're managing somebody else's finances, you should be very careful with it and not waste it. The third way was this. The third uh, uh, way he showed position, a priority position is this. The lesser is blessed by the greater. You see that in Hebrews 7, 7? Three blessings were pronounced by God at creation in the creation narrative to give evidence of priority and position. God blessed the fish and the fowl on the fifth day on Genesis 1.22. He blessed, he blessed man on the sixth day in Genesis 1.28, and the Sabbath day on, in Genesis 2.3. So God couldn't give those blessings if he were inferior to them. And finally, God exercises sovereignty by restricting by imposing restrictions on the created order now this alone blasts away evolution now believe it or not young people when we were in back when us old people were in school it was taught as the theory of evolution theory was a big word i don't know if you hear that word anymore if you just hear evolution but here's the problem four times in genesis god commanded ordered various life forms to reproduce after their kind Okay. When I worked at the tombstone shelter, we had kittens. Cats had kittens. Cats never had puppies. They never had chickens. They never had, they never had cows. Cats had kittens. We had dogs. They never had cats. They never had chickens. They never had sheep. You know what they had? They had puppies. Sheep have lambs. Cows have calves. Ducks have ducklings humans have humans now why is this a big deal think about it we're taught that we came from a lower form of life single cell and just for no reason and if you just study the absurdity of that the impossibility of it it takes a lot more faith to believe that than it does in god believe me a lot more it doesn't say you one day all let's put it this way one day a monkey didn't have a little a little baby i don't know what you call a little baby monkey i just call a little baby monkey a little monkette or something didn't have a little baby monkey and say and and they're talking to other, man that thing looks funny it's not furry like we are it's it doesn't look like we it's it's we just had a human wow and it can talk and we can't talk although i'm playing monkeys never had humans because god says you're going to reproduce after your own kind there's change within a species that's obvious you know all cats look different. You know, I got two cats at home. They look different. You know, dogs all look different, but they're still dogs. If you check the DNA of my two cats, my tuxedo cat, and my little black cat, they're a cat. If I check the, the DNA of your yellow cat, it's going to be a cat like my two cats. They just look different. We all look different. We have different skin colors. By the way, we're all created by God no matter what your skin color is. Racism is the stupidest thing ever, But the fact of the matter is we're all created by God. So this whole thought that, oh, one day, you know, all of a sudden I saw a video years ago on TV where they showed a cow wandering in the water and turning into a fish and then a fish flopping out on the ground and turning into a cow. What? Oh, it took millions of years. Well, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And by the way, you know why things are millions of years? If I said, Kevin over here, who weighs, let's say, 150 pounds. Next week, he's going to weigh 450 pounds. And you believe it? Nobody would. But if I said, you know, in 40 years, Kevin's going to weigh 450 pounds, he's like, well, yeah, that's possible. This is why they have to give so much time, billions of years. Because if you say, well, a a, a monkey turned into a person, it took 20 years. Nobody's like, no. Well, it took 10 billion. Oh, okay. Well, that makes... So anyway, educate yourself in that area. Um, Since God... Created, he is God. He has priority of position. This is why, once again, he prohibits the worship of creation. We catch a glimpse of God in creation. That's what's amazing. You know, my youngest daughter was here last week, and a lot of people said, Man, she looks like you, looks just like you. And I'm thinking, Oh, no, no, she's much prettier than I am. Um, she acts like me, but she don't, but luckily, she looks like her. Both, both my girls look just like their mother, and I'm thankful because, you know, if not, they'd still be living at home. But the fact of the matter is when people see my girls, they can see, they see us. They resemble us. I look, I resemble my father and my mother. My brother resembles my aunt. And uh, but anyway. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is we see that. Well, in creation, we see the thing with God. And this is what Romans tells us. You know, it says, For since the creation of his world, his, of, this, of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, because they have been understood through what has been made, so people are without excuse. When we look at creation, we see commonalities that, that imply a creator. For instance, I love Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture. We went to one of his houses in, in, uh, in Springfield, Missouri, Illinois, and we went to one up in, I think it was in Phoenix, in that area. I just love it, man. If he were still alive, i like, man, design me a house. I love his designs. But you look at his houses, you can say, yep, that's Frank Lloyd Wright, or you can say, that was inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright. You can just tell. Well, when we look at the world around us, you see the same thing with God. There's so, there's so many similarities that show a common design. One thing that's always intrigued me is the DNA. They're looking at DNA, and the more they look at it, the more they're like, this didn't happen by accident. It is way, way, when I was a kid, I used to, like, blow stuff up. It was, my G.I. Joes, you know, by the time we had good fireworks, I mean, they'd do damage. I'd blow G.I. Joe up, you know, and he'd be coming back from the battle and everything, all scarred and everything. But whenever I blew stuff up, it never made order. I never blew something up and a watch came out of it. But yet we're to believe that for no, with no help, that all of a sudden somehow matter, which didn't exist, came together, blew up, spun out planets, and they all don't collide with each other. We're the perfect distance from a sun to sustain life by accident. The moon serves a purpose by accident. And we're supposed to believe that that just all happened for no particular reason. And that human beings, by the way, you know your eye can't evolve. It doesn't work unless it's all there. Just something to think about. But there's just so much here. But when you look at the DNA, it's just looking more and more. That is a creator, that's a designer. That's not an accident. The ultimate proof of the universe being created is the order. Like I said, planets aren't smashing into each other. We can tell you where this planet was 5,000 years ago. It's so precise. It's the most precise clock that's ever been made. It's order, not chaos. When we look at creation, we can see the biblical account is true when everything reproduces after its own kind. Chickens don't have horses. Horses don't have chickens. They produce after their own kind. There's, like I said, macro, there's some macroevolution, but there's no way of microevolution. <laughs> In Genesis 1.25, we're told, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, all the creatures that creep along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. We also see the Trinity a part of the creation process. God the Father is the architect. You realize when God created something, there was nothing. Now in the lab, and you say, hey, can you read me something out of nothing? He'll grab something that's already there. He can't make something out of, or she can't make something out of nothing. God did. The Holy Spirit was the engineer. The breath of God's Spirit gave life. In Genesis 1-2, Now the earth was without shape and empty. The darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. And the Spirit of God was moving. And that word moving means quivering over the surface of the water. And then we see the Son in creation as the builder. Jesus was active in creation. Notice this in John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was fully God the word was with god in the beginning in other words co-eternal co-equal everything all things were created by him and apart from him not one thing was created that's been created there's some face out there that say well jesus was a created being no way because how could the created it says not one thing was created without him well he can't create himself he is god not a god this leads us to an important thought the last the last thought this morning We'll quickly look at the passage one more time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, what's all this mean? What's it matter? Well, here's where it matters because Genesis 1 1 also shows the priority of God in respect to your life. Genesis 1 1 reveals major implications for our lives. This is why people don't like it. This is why people try to discount it. Because, well, like I said, if you pull Genesis 1 out of the scripture, if you can disprove it, nothing else stands. Nothing else is true. We are created by God. There is an implication. We did not evolve from some other form of life. We were not created. Excuse me, if we were not created, we make the rules for life. And furthermore, this is the only life because we are a mistake of nature. A astounding number of kids take their lives. Astounding number of kids are shooting up schools. Many times you find those kids were bullied. there's no justification for shooting up a school okay i thought schools are supposed to be no bully zones but that's a that's a myth talk to any kid who goes to school there's people getting bullied all the time but here's the thing we take our young people and we say this is the best time how many of you how many times have you young people ever been told this is the best time of your life man it's going to be great and for many people it is a great time but in the same breath you're told you you evolve from a monkey there's no purpose for life when you die it's over but this is the best time of your life, and imagine that this time of your life is a living hell. What do you do? Well, if you're evolved from a monkey, there's no future. I don't want to see what I have left in my life because this is miserable, it's not going to get better. I had a young lady at my last, church. she wasn't part of my church, but I did her funeral, Bella of the class. She was going to U of I, University of Illinois to be, in, I think, in engineering. Put a gun to her head and took her life a few weeks after she graduated why she was a nerd she got bullied this is the best time of your life and you're getting bullied she took her life why shouldn't she i mean when you think about it you're here by accident there's no future there's no god this is the best time of your life and it's horrible who wants to see the rest of that that show and she didn't want to see it we're doing our young people a great disservice by telling them that they came from monkeys that your life has no purpose because that's essentially what it means and that when you die it's all over and we're telling this is the best time of your life when for many it's not we need to make sure they know they're special that they are created by God they're created in his image that he loves them they might be a dork or a nerd who cares God still loves them and by the way nerds usually run things in the future so if you're a nerd there's hope you know Uh, I was one of those nerdy athletes. I kind of had a hybrid of both. But anyway, the funny thing is, (laughs) you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. Psalm 139, 13 says, Certainly you made my mind, and I'm thankful for that, and heart. You wove me together in my mother's womb. You weren't some accident. This is why the abortion debate is so insidious. We are taking people who are made in the image of God and we're just flushing them away like they're nothing that's sad not only were you created by god you were created in his image genesis 1:27. god created humankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them you're not a mistake now sometimes in life we have as, as adults we have surprise pregnancies you know you have a child you know when you're 20 some years old and then all of a sudden you're f- almost 40 and here comes another and somebody well, that was a mistake no you say that jokingly, but be careful because you don't want to give the kid a complex. No, it was unplanned. It was unplanned, but God planned it. God knew you were coming. You're in the image of God. You're special. No matter what people say about you, no matter what people try to do, no matter what they bully you, you're special. And that's the message we need to be telling these young people instead of telling them, oh, you come from a monkey and there's no life hope for you. Who wants that garbage? We need to teach kids what they are in Christ. And because you're made in the image of God, your life has a purpose. It's more than living, consuming, and dying. You have a purpose. Your life's meant to praise God and to lead others to him. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus, for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. Since we're created by God, he also gave us another job. And we see this back in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God gave us, an opera, gave us the job of being stewards of his creation. The implication of Genesis 1-1 in your life is that you're special. You're special in God's eyes. And because you're created in his image, God gave you a special assignment Your life has special purpose, and it's not what the world's telling you. Genesis 1-1 is a passage that's vital for us to understand because it answers so many questions. The big question I have for you this morning, though, is do you have the courage to accept the answers that Genesis 1-1 offers? Are you willing to re-examine your life based on those answers that were given in that passage? As humans, we've marred God's creation with sin. As a result, creation fell. However, there'll be a final recreation through Jesus, and Jesus is available to all. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, whoops, there we go. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old is past. Look, what is new has come. There's going to be a new creation. My question is, do you want to be a part of it? Are you ready to be a new creation in Christ? This morning, our praise band is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we give you the opportunity to do that today. And the world can be so hard on us, so tough. I feel sorry for females this day and age. Man, they, you get it—you take a beating. The image you have to live up to to be what the world says you are is ridiculous. It's unreal. But you know what? You're created in God's image. Whether you're 20, you know, whether you're two or you're, whether you're 100 years old, whether you are 105 pounds or 405 pounds, God loves you. And you always have to remember that. And if you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling to prayer, if you come up, we we'll would be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision, What He's Done.
1: the hill of calvary my savior bled for me my jesus set me free look at the wounds that give me life grace flowing from his side no greater sacrifice what
0: he's done what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I pray One, even death is dead and done His life has overcome Speak, say the name above Glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I pray. Father's will complete. He reigns in victory. Sing hallelujah to the King. He is worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. worthy to receive all the worship we can bring what he's done what he's done all the glory and the honor to the son
3: my sins are forgiven
0: my future is his. Praise God for what He's done What He's done What He's done All the glory and the honor to the Son My sins are forgiven My future is heaven praise God for what he's done and I praise God for Forget what he's done, never forget. Forgive us. My future is heaven.
2: Seated. At this time, Amy comes forward as an immersed believer, and would like to make First Christian your home, her home. So, I'd like to ask Amy, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of Living God? Yes. And based on your confession of faith and the fact that you're an immersed believer, we welcome you to the First Christian family. Thank you. Glad Amy came forward this morning as a blessing. We just sang a wonderful song, What He's Done. And really, when we think about our communion time, that's what it's all about. The communion is not about necessarily me. It's not about anything else but what he's done. Because what he's done gives meaning to what we're doing. It gives hope, and it gives joy, and it gives a blessing. Because what he has done is he has sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life because of what happened with sin when we commit that first sin we separate ourselves from God and the only way to bridge that gap is through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that's one thing when you read all the stuff in the Old Testament of all the sacrificial system all the bloodshed, all that it's all about trying to, to have a sacrifice that satisfies God's need for justice along with his need for, uh, for mercy for sin Jesus is the only one that came that was perfect And when his blood was shed on the cross, it was done so because he wanted you, he wanted myself, wanted me to be a part of his family. He wanted our sins washed away. And so when we take our communion this morning, that cup represents the blood that he shed on the cross for us. That uh, bread represents his body that took the punishment that we deserved. God's mercy and his justice were satisfied through what he's done through Jesus Christ. And this morning, as you take your loaf and take that cup, we ask you to look into your heart and just remember what he's done and let that motivate you. A lot of people, when, they, when it comes to faith, sometimes they're motivated by fear, I don't want to go to hell, or they're scared. We should be motivated by what he's done and the love that comes from that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can have this time of communion together. And I pray as we take the elements this morning, we remember what he's done and that we give thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week at 4 o'clock to, or 3.30 today. Our elders and preachers will get together for our, our, our monthly meeting. We have a leadership meeting Tuesday evening. Also, the adult Bible study and the teen study fires up again this uh, Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, Al's group is meeting this week, and Lori's group will start meeting next week. Narrow Path, we're going off-roading off on Fort Huachuca next Saturday. If you would like to go meet here at 8 a.m., we'll leave at 8.30 uh, this, this trail is gonna be a lot of fun. It's not a big scratch. There's not a lot of scratch opportunities on it, so if you wanna pinstripe your vehicle, this one won't be one that we do, but we're gonna have a lot of fun on the rocks up there. Um, if you would like to go but don't have a four-wheel drive truck, you can sign up and we'll get you in with somebody else because a lot of our trucks, we have room for extra people. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, Primetime, our adult uh, dinner group is going to be meeting at the Olive Garden on the 19th at 6.15. There's a sign-up uh, sheet on the foyer. Also on our web page, on the um, count, on the church calendar, you'll see an opportunity to sign up for there also. Please sign up by the Tuesday before so that we can get our numbers um, taken care of. Also, uh, Dale Stetson will begin be, will begin having a life group based on Core 52 Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary, and it's an open group. So you know we'd love to have you come to all 52, but if you can come for a couple and can, you know. you can come in and out as you you need to. So we'll be glad to have that. Also offering envelopes, if you haven't picked your offering envelopes up, please do so very quickly and do not use your offering envelopes from last year because some of your numbers had to change because we had a change in numbering system. Okay, what I wanna show you now is I have... Oh yes, Uh, your offering statements if you gave last year are in in the mail system under your name. So make sure you pick those up. Uh, after a while, if we don't, people don't pick them up, we'll mail them to them. So, yeah, we'll put that in next week's bulletin also. Um, on our website, we'll have all 52 of these memory verse videos. But today, I wanted to show you the first one just so you could see a taste of what you what you get. So, this is going to be a PC video.
3: Together, we're going to memorize all of the core 52 verses. It'll take about three minutes. Per verse. Some are a little longer, some are a little shorter. Because today's is shorter, I want to start by giving you three of the most important tips and tricks for memorizing scriptures more quickly and more permanently. One, two, three. Number one, repeat, repeat, repeat. Take each phrase of the verse and say it over and over and over again until you can't say it or hear it any other way. We'll put those phrases together and we'll have a complete verse number two hands feet the more your hands and feet are moving the more quickly you will learn the verse and the more permanent it will become if you're walking as you're memorizing if you're moving your feet it will help your mind engage it's even more important for your hands i'm going to try to design some hand gestures for each verse so that just by doing the gestures, you will remember the words. But remember, the more your hands and feet are moving, the more your mind will engage with the passage in front of you. Number three, it's three, three, three. Three minutes, three days, three weeks. It takes about three minutes to memorize each verse. So if there's multiple verses, just plan on three minutes per verse. Three days. You never memorize a verse in one day because the next day, a lot of it slips. So you have to go back and re-memorize. It's pretty quick, like a minute. But after three days of doing that, you should remember the verse. So if you're memorizing a verse a day, each verse you memorize will take you three full days. Add on a few more verses, and then you can begin memorizing paragraphs and chapters. Three weeks. Until you say a verse every day, from memory for three weeks, it won't be permanent in your memory. So those are the three rules. Let's start with Genesis 1-1. And you'll notice, I'll start with a reference, say the verse, and then end with a reference again. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. I'm gonna add a hand motion. Because we read from left to right, it will be this. "In In the beginning, 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 in the beginning. Say it over and over. You can't hear it either any other way. Then add another phrase. In the beginning, that's left hand, God. Just point up, God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. God created. God created. God created. Got it? In the beginning, God created. Now I'm going to use both hands, the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth. See if you can do it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, watch this. You set it in your own mind just by doing the actions. One more time Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 1. One down, 51 to go.
2: Yeah, that one's a freebie too. That one's, a, we, and you're actually going to get John 3:16 at some point too. So, you have a few that'll be good. So, anyway, make sure this week you start your Core 52. You can start it today. You know, just as long as you're going through five days of it, whatever works in your schedule. But we encourage you to be involved in that. And I, pr- I promise you, if you go through this program with us, at the end of it, you're going to know a lot more about Scripture than you knew before, and you're going to be able to understand some of the things that maybe you didn't understand before. So it's a it's a great way. That's why I chose to go take the church through this. Okay, I believe that's all the announcements we have. In the back of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns. Please keep them in your minds and your hearts. Take your bulletin home and be in prayer for them. Uh, we have a lot of things that we've been lifting up in prayer. So at this time, let's stand together. We'll close in prayer, and, um, and then our band will lead us out. By the way, I, I, I ran a little longer than I normally do because I need to do the housekeeping stuff, so in the future weeks, I won't be quite as windy. <laughs> let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we could come together and that we could worship. And Father, I pray that as we go through Core 52 together, it'll be a real blessing for each one of us and help us to understand your word even more. Lord, I pray that we leave enthousia- enthous- with enthusiasm and with, uh, just ready to serve you this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.